I'm Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, and this is Sam Says, a podcast series focused on Illinois Medicaid managed care. Hello, I'm DeRondel Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Marina Claudio, Medical Director of Molina Healthcare of Illinois and Wisconsin. But first, let me welcome our host, the Sam in Sam Says, Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I am great and super excited for this conversation today. As am I. Uh, without further delay, I said we have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Marina Claudio, who is the medical director of Molina Healthcare, Illinois and Wisconsin. Dr. Claudio, welcome to Sam Says. Thank you, Durandal. Thank you, Samantha, for having me. And so before we jump into it, can you just give us a little bit about you, your background, and uh, Molina Healthcare? Sure. Uh, so I, I am a family physician by training and certification. Um, I've been in practice for 17 years, and I'm actually one of the newer medical directors with Molina Healthcare. I am really enjoying my role. Um, this uh, very much balances what I had been doing for the last 17 years out of residency in that I'm able to um, look at patient care through a different lens and make an impact. And if you could, um, Dr. Claudio, I love that because I think that folks often forget that the medical directors at health plans um, often have extensive background in, in practice. Can you dive into a little bit about sort of that 17 year um, background and sort of some, your patient care experience and uh, some of the lessons learned that you now bring to your role at Molina? Well, I've uh, been in various practice settings throughout the years. Mostly they've been in a community type of setting, although my last uh, opportunity was in private practice. Because I'm fully fluent in Spanish, I attracted a patient population that was very much representative of community medicine. Um, we took many different insurances, including uh, many of the Medicaid plans. And so I definitely had a, a good sense of uh, what this patient population required in order to have a um, more global healthcare. Right, and I I love that that you've served this population sort of in that face to face um, doctor patient role, and then now you're continuing to serve that population through your work at Molina and looking at sort of a, a maybe a a larger picture. Um, but still really, you know, doing sort of the, the rounds um, with patients, uh, with their charts, reviewing their care. Um, what has been most fulfilling about sort of that transition to the Molina um, side of it? Well, I, I feel like I've really been able to continue along this wavelength of, of taking a patient's um, uh, entire, um, how should I say this? It's not just about their medical conditions. It's about everything that plays into how they see healthcare, how they access healthcare, how they view illness in general, which for me working in the Latinx community is very much part and parcel with how, um, I'm able, how I was able to effectively take care of my patients because there is a, is a lot of cultural interplay in how, um, patients and how our members view healthcare. And I love 
that you say that because so often when I'm talking to non-clinicians, we talk about the role of social determinants of health. We talk about the role of um, communities and family culture and sort of just background of the patients and, and how that's going to directly impact how they interface with sort of that medical space. And just the recognition that clinicians within the health plans also appreciate it's not just you know, is somebody adhering to their medication? Is somebody, you know, what, what is the discharge plan for an individual, but also what are the social determinants of health impacting their overall well-being? And then how do we, um, in a culturally, uh, in a culturally appropriate manner, interact with these patients, um, meet their needs, and how do we sort of, uh, address their concerns, not just sort of what may be the concern of a clinician, but what are their goals? Um, in that in that discussion uh, or in sort of that work that you do, what has been um, sort of your way of, of bringing in that cultural um, humility, if you will, and sort of cultural competence of how you interact with, with patients or um, either when you were in the field or um, now at Molina and why the, and the importance of it? I, I think there is definitely a um, deficiency in our medical education when it comes to this aspect of taking the patient as a whole and not just of the, the, the symptoms that are presented to us. And um, in my last role, I was fortunate enough to teach medical nurse practitioner and physician assistant students. And I thought for me, what was more important than the um, learning about uh, you know, clinical presentation was how I interacted with the patients, how we interact with, uh, with patients to really get the full story and to get a sense of how they view their illness. Um, so I thought it was very important to have the students in the room with me to observe these interactions, because this is something that, that has to be learned. It's like an apprenticeship. Um, you can't just learn this. You, you need to observe and to um, absorb uh, from someone else who is able to do it in a way that's culturally sensitive, uh, that is not uh, injecting implicit bias into those interactions as well. Right. And Dr. Claudio, I think the research um, underscores exactly what you're talking about and how if a patient trusts their doctor, if a patient feels as though their doctor um, understands sort of where they're coming from, they're more likely to um, engage in their healthcare. They're more likely uh, to have sort of the clinical outcomes that we're hoping for. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, at the recommendation of a lot of the clinicians that all of the plans have, I'm hit pursued implicit bias training legislation um, because of the findings of other states and, and really the advice and counsel of, of the clinicians at health plans encouraging um, sort of that to be a requirement um, for practicing uh, clinicians because it's so critical and it has a direct impact in the healthcare outcomes of our, our members. And of course, Medicaid members being some of the most vulnerable um, in our, our state. I wanna take it um, to a little bit different of a, I wanna sort of jump over to 
women in STEM and sort of why we're here and the recognition that um, just a little over a quarter of uh, the field of STEM is made up of women. But what I love is when we started sort of preparing for this month, we looked at um, the clinical makeup of health plans. And in our in Illinois, our health choice CMOs um, for all of our four statewide plans, um, they are all women. And we see that with our medical directors, we see just a large representation of, of women. Um, and, and we're so grateful for that. I want to like really celebrate that. Can I um, just sort of ask you about your experience um, as a woman in this field? And then, um, you know, just sort of get, get uh, some, what you would say to women sort of, you know, just graduating from med school, entering their residency, you know, sort of advice on um, success in this space. Well, I do want to say that according to the data that was released from the AMMC, which is the Association of American Medical Colleges in 2019, we uh, as women have surpassed the 50% mark of all medical students. So that's pretty amazing. And that's not to say that women were not pursuing careers in STEM and particularly in medicine in the past. It's just there was definitely an underrepresentation for many different reasons. Um, I think if, uh, jumping to your uh, point of advice that I would give is that we do need to push through. There are definitely a lot of responsibilities that we have as women, but in, in the sense of pursuing our careers, we need to be able to strike a balance and also prioritize what it is that needs to happen at a specific moment in time in order to move on to the next step. I love that. I think that if we're going to be successful in any field, um, you know, finding that balance of that, you know, whether it's, you know, family and children or just your own hobbies and fulfilling sort of your own personal side separate and apart from your career, um, because if you don't have that balance, you're far more likely to burn out in a, especially in a demanding and challenging space. Um, if you don't have something to sort of um, unplug and enjoy. And, and burnout is, is really big um, in healthcare and especially in medicine. Um, over the last five years, I've seen an explosion of um, continuing medical education on the topic of burnout, how to handle um, all, all, all of um, life's um, imbalances in order to be able to balance retreats. I've seen this in, in, in also in the, in the American Academy of Family Physicians that I'm a member of. I've seen a lot more of these types of offerings for physicians on top of the, the, the clinical um, education that we need to, we need to do to, to be able to keep our licenses up. And, and in that, and in the sort of those, um, the focus on preventing burnout and, you know, sort of maintaining that long career and passion in medicine, have there been particular tips or things that have worked for you in terms of best practices for keeping that, that passion really strong and, and the ability to continue in this often demanding um, space? I think one thing that's important, and I, it's this is told to us very early on, set goals, set short-term goals, which would be a year or two years, and long-term goals, five to 10 years. 
Um, I think one thing that we don't do enough is reassess those goals. We'll write them down and then we'll tuck them away somewhere. And then we don't look at them again until perhaps uh, there's a dire need. And arriving at, at that point, sometimes um, the vision is not the same. So you, you need to kind of go back and take a look at all of those goals and, and see, am I aligned with those goals now? Do I need to shift a little bit? What's working for me now? What may work better for me in the future? Um, I think that's so important for us as uh, women in STEM to do because a lot of things come our way. Uh, we have uh, changes. Uh, there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, families expand if that's what happens, um, relationship changes. There's all kinds of things that happen to people in general. But when you add in the fact that we are at this uh, high pressure, high level profession, it, it definitely uh, requires a lot of balance. I, I love that. And, you know, I want, I'm thinking, I looked at my own personal goals from, you know, just like two years ago. And obviously the past year has just completely changed the entire vision of what I had in my mind two years ago. Um, to underscore, you know, exactly that, that, that things change, expected things unexpected things, personal things, and then, you know, potentially global pandemics arise. And the pandemic, I was going to say yeah. the pandemic, it was, it was, was uh, a, a big, a, a big changer. I, I was talking to my daughter last night and I, I said, well, the, the pandemic was a big deal. And, and she said, yeah, but there were positives and, and, you know, negatives and positives that we can take away from it because I think everybody has been impacted in one way or another and moving forward, um, you, you just have to move forward and again, reassess those goals and see where what's gonna happen moving forward. Exactly, I think it forced us all to reevaluate um, what our priorities were and sort of that forced assessment um, that we should probably all be doing on a regular basis to begin with. Yes. Okay, I think we're gonna have to wrap it there. Uh, special thank you to Dr. Claudio for, of Molina Healthcare for taking some time to talk with us today. Uh, Dr. Claudio, we invite you to come back uh, to Sam Says. We definitely appreciated the conversation. I know that you and Sam could have kept going. Uh, if, if you'd like, we definitely would love to have you come back in the future. Thank you. I, I, would, appreciate, I would love that. Fantastic. Sam, before we wrap, uh, you had a great conversation with Dr. Claudio. Uh, anything that you found interesting or, are, or will continue to think about as we head into the future? So the whole conversation, I always love talking with the clinicians at Health Plans. I think they have such an, you know, amazing insight. Um, I really love the discussion around cultural appropriateness, sensitivity, um, the key role that plays in clinical outcomes. And then, you know, the, the goal setting and, and the reevaluation and, and striking that balance in life. I think it's important, obviously, for women in STEM to be successful and to continue um, you know, practicing and serving. Um, but I think it's an important lesson for all of us, regardless of whether or not we find ourselves um, in, in the field of STEM. All right, that's a fantastic point. Um, if you like what you've heard today, we encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net. That's I-A-M-H-P.net to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today. And we ask that you please like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. 
If you're interested in becoming a trusted partner like Molina Healthcare, I encourage you to reach out to I'm Hip's Chief Operating Officer, Elena Kennedy, or again, visit the website at imhip.net. On behalf of Sam and the wonderful team at I'm Hip, I'm DeRondel Beverly. On behalf of the Gemini Group, we thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sam Says. Stay safe, and we will talk to you soon.